Hey there, love. You are listening to episode two of the Being and Doing Now podcast, where we explore what it means to know yourself better, love yourself more, and share from the heart. I absolutely loved the conversation I had with today's guest, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Chad Brown is a life coach, a filmmaker, a husband, and a dad, and he started offering some of his fabulous and timeless wisdom right from the ramp up to our conversation. It was so good, I thought I would let you listen in. So I've just asked Chad about being an early riser, and here's his response. I am, yes. I am up. Usually before the sun hopefully <laughs> being more north has made that more difficult but i'm a sunrise kind of guy it just kind of breathes some life into me and and resets me for the day and so i try to see as many of them as we can so have you always been that way or has it kind no. of something evolved over time no it's it's been a real struggle <laughs> For lack of a better way to put it, it's it's something that became really important to me, and so I use a couple tools, but I am not naturally that way. So what are some of the skills that you've developed to help you turn into more of a sunrise guy? Oh, the biggest one is, have you ever uh, read Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins? I have heard about it, but I haven't read it, no. It's a really good book. It's very, very simple principle and it's basically just a countdown principle so if there's something you want need to do but you're just not feeling it <laughs> just count down from five five four three two one go and there's a whole psychological backing to this as to what actually happens inside your brain when you count down to something which is pretty fascinating so on the surface it seems very very simple it seems kind of silly almost but then there's a shift inside your brain when you count down and it has to be counting down. It can't be counting up. Pretty cool. So I set my alarm, and then I, as soon as I hear it, I have to five, four, three, two, one, go it, and I get out of bed. Wow, that is fascinating. <laughs> I was so skeptical when I started the book, and then I, I was like, well, I'll test it out. And I do it for that and a few other things that I just kind of dread doing, and it works. It really does. Thank you for that. I'm going to try it. I struggle in the morning. I really feel like I have a hard time getting back into my body when I wake up. So I need yeah. to stay in bed for quite a while. And, you know, and I can do things like I can get on my phone, which I know is not a good idea, check email or <laughs> get on Instagram or whatever. But it, at least my sense of it is that I'm doing something to wake up, even if I'm not waking up the way that I would prefer to wake up, right? Because that's not how I, I don't want to be grabbing my phone first thing in the morning. So, uh, yeah. but maybe that's been an excuse. And now that you've offered a better way, I'm going to go ahead and try that. Well, I hope it works. The book is helpful because I, it helps for me to understand the psychology behind it. And she uses a lot of good case scenarios and that kind of stuff. Fabulous. So is that something you've been suggesting to your clients and have they had good results with it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of become one of my core recommendations for my clients. So you are a life coach now. I know that's one of the things that you do, right? What is the focus of your practice? So the focus of my practice is asking really, really good questions. I, even the, the term life coach, I have a difficult time with, and that's my own garbage and my own junk that I'm unpacking. So just bear with me. I don't think many people have as much of a problem with the term as I do. A lot of people think about that. They think, oh, somebody's just, just going to tell me 
how to be successful or how to do this thing or how to add this thing that I want into my life. And for me, that is not my job. My job is to ask effective questions that that person had never thought to ask themselves before because it's through questions and curiosity that we make progress. It's not through answers, which is very counterintuitive to the way that we've been taught in traditional schooling. You know, if you look back at our lives and you think about our childhood, going to school and all that kind of stuff, it was all about having the answers. And I think that's a very backwards way of learning. I think as soon as we have all the questions, that's when we can start to learn. That's when we can open ourselves to finding new information. We can remain curious. And so that's the core of my practice is coaching people through being curious enough to find out who they are as their true self, what they love to do, who they love. I mean, all of those things, money, all of that kind of stuff can fall after discovering how to answer, not even answer, how to ask great questions and be okay with maybe not knowing, but just remaining curious. There's a lot of power in that. That is a really wonderful way to express it. There is power in asking questions. I think that gets overlooked a lot of times. We so often want to get to the answer, and in doing that, we bypass and skip a lot of the process that is so rich with information for us, you know, that we're ultimately seeking, but we think we're going to find it in the answers when it really lies primarily in the questions. Yeah. Yeah. And usually it's the questions we don't even know how to ask yet, which is the purpose of a coach, or in my opinion, is the purpose of a coach or a mentor is to just say, hey, look over here. Have you seen this question yet? What do you think about that? Very, very true. So tell me a little bit more about you. Start where you like. Talk about life and transitions and career and family and all that good stuff. Yeah, well, there's three main areas of life that I have discovered have kind of formed and brought me to the place that I am now, and I'll go through them really quick. The first one is I grew up very, very religious in a very – the word that I can come up with that best describes it, and some people would agree and some people wouldn't, but it was a very fundamental religion. And grew up in that, you know, all the way through to getting married, starting our family, all of that kind of stuff. And then it wasn't until about 30 to 32 that I started asking myself, I'm 35 now, it wasn't until about 30 years old that I started asking myself some real important questions. Imagine that. (laughs) And this is right about the same time that I was getting into the coaching realm. And so... I grew up in this fundamentalist religion that really didn't encourage asking a lot of questions. It was much more about, hey, follow this by faith. You know, any questions are perceived as doubt, and, you know, it's just not okay to ask questions. And so that really started to not sit well with me as I went into my 30s and started to explore myself and explore coaching and asking questions and So one thing led to another, and and our family ended up transitioning out of that faith tradition, which is a very vulnerable place to be. It gives you the space or requires you to take the space to reevaluate pretty much everything in your life. And so we dove deep into that process of evaluating everything, including our marriage, how we are doing as parents, why we're living the way that we're living, our careers, all of those sort of things. So very, very formative and a huge event that we're now still just working through. So that's one thing that has really formed where we are right now. The second one is fatherhood. 
just being a father and wanting so badly to discover myself in that role and figure out who it is that I am to my kids, who it is that I still need to be for myself and for my wife. And man, that has been an incredible process that has <laughs> been an entire year with my coach, just working on answering questions about being a dad <laughs> and who I want to be and wh- how and why and all of that sort of stuff. And so that was an incredibly formative time and it still is so formative. I still find myself in my relationship with my kids, light bulbs just going off left and right <laughs> and mm-hmm. good questions coming up. And so that's the second one. Third one is my career. I've been a storyteller most of my career in many capacities. Photography, filmmaking has probably been the most obvious place that I do storytelling. And then I've done a lot of speaking and teaching as well, which in my opinion is just another form of storytelling. And so storytelling has really formed who I am and what we are currently doing as a family because I just wanted to tell that story so badly. And that's kind of what spurred us into where we are now, which is we live full time in a school bus and we're traveling the country doing what we can to create experiences for ourselves and for our kids rather than collecting things. And I was just so excited when we decided we were going to do this because that meant I got to tell a great story and I get to do it with my family. So that's how the YouTube channel is born. And those are really the foundational things that I can identify that has brought us to where we are right now. Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So your uh, YouTube channel is Love Always Adventure Often, right? Correct, yes. So as I follow your story, the different pieces, you know, you just said a whole lot in those big bucket pieces that you mentioned. I really marvel at how you seem to be moving through the transitions. And I appreciate your honesty, your transparency. What I hear you talking about is how wonderful it is. I see how wonderful that lifestyle is that you've jumped into. But I really marvel at the way that you seem to be navigating the transitions, admitting that it's not easy all the time and where sometimes you feel like you didn't do very well and you talk about that. So speaking of those transitions, Tell me more about how you navigate that as an individual and how you navigate it as a family because you have your wife, Katie, and you have three kids. So Mm -hmm. how do you keep all of those balls going and make sure everybody is getting what they need and moving through it not only as individuals but together as a family? Uh, It's a great question, and the best I can answer it with is the questions that we continue to ask ourselves through the process. As I talk about my method with my clients and, you know, how I kind of live my life as far as asking questions, I just want to be very clear that that's not just a good idea. We put that into practice every single day. And so I'll talk specifically about transitioning into full-time travel and, and in the bus. You know, when we first started this process, there were questions that we identified that we promised each other we would continue to ask through the entire process. And the reason that that's so important is because questions allow room for uh, different opinions. They allow room for different answers. Even if it's the same question but asked on a different day or at a different minute, it can have a different answer, right? And that's what's so beautiful about it is that we don't have to say, 
that we're doing this thing and we're doing it and nobody asks any more questions, which is how I grew up, right? But we get to say, here's our set of questions that we think are valuable for this experience. And we're going to ask them periodically, maybe even daily, maybe even weekly, just to check in with each other, see how everybody's doing. So I know that's super high level and a little bit ominous, but what that looks like when it hits the ground is we decided to do this thing and we decided as a family, we took a vote and everybody was hundred percent on board. Uh, I was probably the least on board because <laughs> I was the realistic one about how much work this thing was going to be. Um, but we all took a vote. We decided this is exactly what we needed to do as a family or wanted to do as a family at this point in time. And then we identified those questions and, you know, those questions were things like, how are you doing with full-time living? And so that's a question that we can ask each other. And I ask it to everybody in the family at least every other day. How is this feeling for you? What are you going through? What's, what do you like? What don't you like? Is this still working for you? And it was very important to me and Katie that our kids knew that at any moment they could express to us if it was not working for them. And then we have a conversation and then we can work through some things. And if there's something we can do to help them get through that, then we will. If not, then we can just discuss it and be with it for a little while and feel it and then decide what we need to do as a family. So it was really, really important to all of us, or it was really important to Katie and I that all of us had the space to speak our mind about what is actually happening rather than just pretend that everything's okay because we decided to do this thing. There's no way we could have had any idea how this full-time travel would feel, how it would work, all of that kind of stuff. And so we didn't want to, you know, make our bed and sleep in it, as people say. <laughs> we wanted to just have that space to check in with each other and make sure everybody's doing okay. And we've had some great conversations. And we've really discovered some things about ourselves. And nobody feels the pressure to pretend like this is – 100% positive, 100% of the time, and that, you know, nobody feels cornered. And that was a really, really important thing to me. And so those questions made that transition very smooth. It didn't feel as much as, oh, the only term I'm coming up with is a death sentence <laughs> to anybody in the family, if that makes sense. It didn't feel like, well, I have to do this thing and just keep my mouth shut, which is kind of how I grew up. It's much more, hey, that we're going to explore this. We have no idea. We're going to remain curious, which is a big theme for us, remaining curious, and uh, we'll see how it goes. That's great. How have the kids done with that? I mean, you transitioned from the older way of being. I don't know quite how you would describe it, but from the type of culture where you don't ask questions and it's considered doubt <laughs> has been the past five-ish years, right? Mm -hmm. And you have a daughter who is, is she a teenager now, Madison? She's 12. Yeah, 12. So she's old enough to have lived through that transition. So how do your kids do with that now versus maybe how you all were or what they saw and experienced previously? Yeah, it's a great question. Our two youngers, uh, well, especially our youngest, Milo, he's five. And obviously uh, we were going through that transition, or at least I was beginning that transition process when he was born. And so he doesn't know any different. But you're right, our older uh, Addison, who is 12, and Kenya, who is 9, have witnessed 
so young in their life, this huge transition of what they thought was our everything quickly became not even a part of our life. And we obviously considered them, their feelings, their comfort, all of that kind of stuff through the process as much as we could. You know, faith is such a personal thing. And for me, it's always been a very intentional thing. It's never been very passive for me. Uh, The culture and the specific religion that we come from, it's very difficult to be passive in it. And so it becomes part of everything. You end up doing at least two or three things a week that participate in the church. And every day you have rituals and every day you have different things that you partake in. So it's constantly there. And so it was a very interesting transition. And we just tried to be very open, as with everything else in our parenting. And we're better at this at times, and we fall into other ways at times, for sure. So I don't want to ever give the impression that we've figured it out. But what we strive to do is just check in and make sure that everybody is having their needs met as much as possible. And make sure it's a safe place that everybody feels okay expressing their true feelings and being okay with saying, well, I don't really understand this or I don't really get why we're doing this, which we've had these conversations, especially with Addison. You know, a lot of her friends were in that community and and all that kind of stuff. And not that we need to cut ties with them, but when an organization is set up the way that organization is, unfortunately, it doesn't allow for a lot of relationships outside of that organization. And so that was probably the most difficult part was our kids experienced a little bit of rejection and a little bit of losing friendships and that kind of stuff. And so it was really important for us to just check in and say, how are you feeling? Explain this to me. Tell me about this. And then not pretend like we have the answers. And the answers are really irrelevant anyway, because the space to just express their feelings is probably, to me, the most important. And that allowance to just be who and what they are in that moment is a really big deal to us. And so a conversation that happens almost on a daily basis with my kids between me and them is dad doesn't really know what he's doing. (laughs) Nobody gave dad an instruction manual. Nobody really modeled for me how to raise children that think on their own and navigate this world with, you know, very simple moral code, but a very big openness to becoming and believing and being whatever you want to be. And so I'm learning alongside of you and give me some grace. I'll give you some grace. We'll keep talking about how much I don't know (laughs) and we'll figure it out. And as long as we all have space to talk with each other and be real and have conversation, then we've got something. The minute we're close to conversation and the minute that we isolate ourselves, then we've got problems. And so it's been a very difficult transition, something I would never wish on any family, but we've come out lucky enough. We've come out fairly unscathed. We have lots of other friends who've gone through a similar transition who did not make it out on the other side the same way. And so we feel incredibly lucky, but it's also something that we have to work at every single day. So what have you observed or noticed in them in their own growth and becoming who they are through the process of asking questions? How do they feel about that? I mean, do they feel like it was weird at first or they were open to it and (laughs) kind of came more naturally once they got the hang of it? Or what have you noticed? Um, 
I notice they look at me like I'm a real big weirdo sometimes. No. <laughs> uh, here, here goes Dad again on his on his uh, question rant. No, it it just became commonplace. It's not commonplace because we're real intentional about it. But I talk about curiosity on a daily basis around them, and I try to model that as well. So knowing myself and how I interact with the world is a really big part of how I model to them some of these principles that I think are beneficial. And I say I think because, once again, nobody ever taught me how. So I'm constantly trying things, and if they seem to be a benefit, then they stick around, and if not, then we discard them. But it's been a lot of modeling. It's been a lot of talking. My kids, (laughs) I can kind of see the, like, their eyes glaze over. You know, as soon as I start talking about the importance of being curious and non-judgment and all of that kind of stuff and that provides a space where we can have more relationships and help more people and discover who we really are and find our hobbies and find our likes and our dislikes and all of that kind of stuff and I can see their eyes just glaze over now and again because I talk about it so much but I think that's so important it's just having these important conversations that are principle-based on a regular basis, it becomes something of second nature because now I'd catch them reiterating some of the sentiments that I talk about on a daily or weekly basis. And that's really, that really makes me happy. It really makes me proud when Kenya, our nine-year-old says, you know, that person, I don't really quite get what what's going on with that person right now, but I'm curious. And <laughs> to me, that is so awesome. It's such an opportunity for her. And it's such an opportunity and a blessing for our family because as long as she remains curious about that person, she's always open to who they are and what their needs are. And then that can bring more goodness and happiness into her life, which in return brings it into our whole family's life. And so I don't know that they could identify a time at which life wasn't like that, and now it is because kids, you just live kind of day-to-day sort of thing. But I do see them make progress and put into practice some of the things we talk about on a daily basis. That's amazing. So curiosity is one of the qualities that I very clearly hear you cultivating in your family, and another seems to be grit. You also have a podcast called It Takes Grit. Tell me more about how that came to be and what, you know, I find it fascinating because in order to host and initiate conversations like that, that I've heard you do on the podcast, I feel like, wow, this guy really has to understand what grit means. (laughs) So tell me what grit means to you, which is one of the questions that you ask all of the folks who come on and then how it came to be. Oh, good. You're going to turn the tables on me. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the question I get to ask everybody else. But I, you know, the fascinating thing behind those conversations and that podcast has been all of the different interpretations, all of the different ideas of what grit means to people. And it's been fascinating. And the reason that, uh, well, I'll answer your question first and I can explain that. But to me, grit is that thing that we possess inside of us that we don't always tap into until things are very challenging. And once things are so challenging to the point that we don't know whether or not we can handle them, And sometimes we even believe that we can't, that it's going to just take over us or just those things that feel like almost hopeless. And then something inside of us comes alive and says, no, we will get through this. 
I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to die trying. I love that. I'm going to die trying. Um, to me, that's grit. And I think there's a form of that that we all tap into very regularly because we live, I mean, this is coming from a very privileged standpoint, so I've got to be careful, but we do live difficult lives as far as our feelings go, as far as our abilities go, our wants, our desires, some of the systems that have been set up for us <laughs> without even our say or our doing, and it can be hard. And I think there's a lot of times in our lives where we get to dig deep and find that place and find that thing that I'm now calling grit that allows us to move forward through those really, really difficult things when we think, uh, I'm just going to die trying. I love your definition of that. I've not heard you express that on the podcast. You know, you talk about the middle part and how the middle part is hard. The nights can be long, and that reminds me of the word process. It is a process. Yeah. We do have to dig deep. It's so easy to come out on the other side and describe the process and even talk about how difficult it was in spots, but to actually experience it and to have the grit to dig deep and find that place in yourself where you can move through it and come out on the other side with insight and awareness and kindness and compassion and empathy and all of those kinds of things. It's very different to talk about it than it is to experience it, I think. Absolutely. I 100% agree. So you needed to dig deep, I take it. You and your family undertook a six-month process, right, to uh, build your (laughs) school bus, which is now your rolling home. So tell me more about that, what that process was like, and where you found your grit in it. Um, I'm still figuring that out. You know, one big piece of the puzzle for this thing we call life is we have these experiences and we have the opportunity to learn from them. Obviously, we don't want to dwell on them, or I shouldn't say we. I I don't want to dwell on them. I want to learn from them and quickly move on and be present here and now rather than live in the past. But I can't help but look back on the process and identify some places in which I needed grit. (laughs) And, you know, a couple of the places where I said, well, I'm willing to die trying. And that middle part, at times, it felt... It did feel a little bit uh, like I was way out of my league and that I had no idea what I was doing and that I questioned my ability skill-wise and sanity-wise to convert this big, long thing of metal that I'm staring at right now into a home that our family could house our love in. And so there were many, many times when I felt like quitting, you know, working through an electrical system, staying up until three or four or five in the morning, watching YouTube videos and looking at wiring diagrams and yada, 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 only to, you know, start work in a couple hours and then start working on the bus immediately after I was done with work. And there were difficult parts of it. And one of the ways that we worked through that was just being super committed to the process. And I actually recently just released a video called Our Regrets and Mistakes on Building Our Schoolie. And the goal behind that video was for me to have a place where people could go and see some of the things that now that we've lived in the bus for two months, they could see the things that we were, and, and mostly most of the things are physical things about the build out of the bus. But my last point is probably my biggest regret, and I I say this in a healthy way because I'm learning about it and I'm asking questions about it. It's not just self-pity or self-wallow regret. 
it's the type of regret that says, well, I'm going to figure this out so that the next time I go through a process like this, I can do it differently. And that regret was, I wish I would have just enjoyed the process more. Rather than being worried about getting out on the road, being worried about meeting some arbitrary schedule that we set up for ourselves, being frustrated with things that didn't go exactly the way I hoped they'd go and took longer, which was everything, by the way. And so I now look back at that and say, I could have been a lot more present and enjoyed that process a lot more. And so the next time we decide to undertake something this big, I'm going to really try to be with myself through that process, enjoy it, rather than looking towards some arbitrary goal that we had made up for ourselves. Do you tend to be very goal-oriented? Do you like to get to the finish line? or? My natural tendency is to be goal-oriented and finish line-oriented. The problem is, is the finish line always moves. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> So it's a very, very sticky mentality, and it can get out of control very, very fast. I know myself well enough to know that it does get out of control very fast. I'm always looking for the next thing, never finding the peace and happiness that would serve me best in the moment. That sounds like one of those tricky balances. Something else that I would love to hear more about from you is that sharing the truth with love that you mentioned recently on Instagram. And it's all about this, you know, sharing some of the struggles and the difficulty and not just all the happy times and all the Instagram worthy photos of beautiful places that you and your family visit. So tell me more about tricky balances, if you would. (laughs) Yeah, there's, I think this shows up for me in so many different ways. And I do love the platform of Instagram and YouTube I do love these outlets, and one of the the major reasons I love them is it tells me so much about myself and where my headspace is, where I'm where I'm lacking in life a little bit, and how honest I am being with myself and with the world. It's just a great way to kind of look at, to evaluate what I'm choosing to share. And so there is this tendency, obviously, and, and we talk a lot about, uh, a lot of people talk about this now, is that social media can tend to be just our highlight reel, and just all the goodness, and it creates a real unrealistic expectation for those who are watching. And I think we forget, you know, we call it social media, and we interact with it multiple times a day now. Most people do. And I think that a lot of time we forget that it's real human lives on the other end of the line. I think that's the downfall of social media because it becomes more about likes and a number, you know, how many likes did I get? How many comments did I get? How many people saw my post? We're so into all these analytics that are all numbers. And so people become numbers, right? And so it's really easy to forget that these are real human lives who are watching us and watching what we post, watching what we say, watching what we do. And we can create some very unrealistic expectations of the life we're living if we're not careful which is what everybody is doing. And, and I don't, I don't want, no, not everybody. I'm sorry. That was, I didn't mean everybody. That's what the majority of social media is in my opinion, from my experience is that highlight reel that doesn't really show real life. And so what happens is we have millions of people who are watching social media and watching these lives of quote unquote influencers and feeling like their lives don't compare or don't, stand up or don't, they're not living their best life to use the latest term, right? Because these people on social media just seem to be happy all the time. They seem to be doing something fun all the time. 
And then, you know, it's one thing to watch one person live their life like that. But then to watch 100 or 200 or 300 or 500 people live their life like that, it can start to make you feel pretty terrible. Like, you know, you're not living the best life you can or you don't have what you want or need or all that sort of stuff. So for me, that balance of trying to talk very realistic about the good times, the highlights, but also the low times and the doubts and the fears and, you know, the, the other things that we all go through, we just don't choose to talk about on those platforms. And I try to do the same thing in my marriage, try to do the same thing in my parenting, where we give equal time to our feelings and our experiences that are not positive as we do the ones that are. And so there's that tricky balance. And the tough thing is nobody on social media wants to talk about these things because guess what? They don't get likes. People don't know how to interact with them. And it's just a, it's a difficult thing to tackle in that venue where everybody else is posting beautiful pictures of their best life. <laughs> so I don't ever want anybody to watch our family and think, man, why can't we have it all together like them? To me, that's a huge lost opportunity to actually connect and be real and support and be in community. And those are the things that are most important to us. So what are your internal go-tos, you know, in terms of your mindset or your heart set or habits that you feel like you've developed to help you maintain your balance or your, you know, if you feel like you get off track to get back to where you want to be? And how do you assess that? Is it like a feeling? Is it a sense of knowing? Yeah, for me, it has to be systematic. And I think this process is best participated in differently by everyone, depending on how they operate with themselves and in their minds and all of that kind of stuff. I'm a very systematic kind of person. I like to have a system in place. I like to do things similar this, you know, every single time. I like to set apart days like Tuesdays are my main video editing days. That's just a small example of how I, how I operate best, and that's kind of what I've learned about myself. And so in the morning through meditation and through study, there's a few questions that I ask myself systematically to check in to see where I'm at on things and to hopefully identify some places that I could be committed to something new. And so one of those questions that I ask myself pretty much on a daily basis, and this is a practice that I help a lot of my clients adopt as well, is very simply two questions, what is wanted and what is needed? And through those questions, I can identify, okay, is life looking the way I want it to look on a daily basis? Are there things that I'm missing that I want, right? And those are, I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about things like, do I have the relationship with my wife that I want today? Do I have the relationship that I want with my kids? Do I have the mindset that I want to get through some of the things that I get to do today? Does my business look the way I want it to look? Am I spending my time the way I want to spend my time? And then that gives me an opportunity to evaluate the things that I want And then the the follow-up question is so important is what is needed, right? So I evaluate what I want, and if I'm not quite there, if it's not exactly what I want, then I go into the evaluation or what, what is needed. What else can I do today or what is needed today for me to experience the experience I want to have in those areas of my life? So there's just a few systematic questions that I ask myself on a regular basis. 
to make sure that I'm working towards something that I want rather than, uh, you know, the, the biggest tragedy that I see, and I get to see it firsthand through my clients and just through interaction with people throughout the world, is that most of us are asleep and we don't even know we're asleep. And I think these two questions alone allow us to wake up if we ask them honestly and we're willing to face the true answer <laughs> and we do it on a regular basis. And if we ask ourselves, you know, what is wanted, what is needed, we can start to work towards a path or a trajectory that makes sense for us. Those are great questions. And how do you help people answer those questions and find self-compassion, self-love? Because sometimes when we get answers to those questions and as we wake up, things become very clear, almost sometimes I think painfully clear about ourselves. It can be hard to look at things that, you know, maybe we've been doing that's contributed to what we maybe don't like or doesn't feel good or what's not wanted, right? So how, how mm-hmm. do you kind of help people see and feel some of that self-love, self-compassion while they're in this process of genuinely getting to know themselves better? Yeah. Giving them space is the most important. You know, we, I don't exactly know how we got here as humankind to where we don't give each other space to just be. It's very interesting to me. I have a couple of ideas of how we got there. That wasn't your question. Your question is, what do I do? So I work really, really hard to just give people space in a way that allows them to examine and answer those questions and think about them. And there's no pressure to answering them correctly, or there's no pressure to answering them quickly. Those things don't matter. What matters is they're answered honestly. And so that's I mean, that's really what my coaching calls are with my clients is a space for me to ask some questions and for them to just explore answers and explore whether those answers are true for them at the moment or not, or, you know, whatever. You think about corporate America and and the office and working and at home and school and all that kind of stuff. None of those systems are set up for us to have the space to really evaluate maybe some graduate programs allowed it for this, but I would say that's probably only one of the only spaces that we are given or, or are set up systematically for us to just sit with our feelings and our thoughts and the things, the things that make up who we are inside. And so when I work with my clients, there's a lot of silence <laughs> on our calls. Anybody who would be listening to this, and it certainly is for my clients when they start working with me, that's very uncomfortable. And it's actually a really fun playground for me to work with them on because I can see them, the way we operate day-to-day interpersonally with other people, we're afraid of silence. And so we've gotten really good at finding ways to feel the silence, feel the silence, not feel it, but feel it because it's uncomfortable. And the minute there's uncomfortable silence and you don't know how to feel it, we now have these little computers in our pockets that we can pull out and bury our heads in to avoid that feeling of silence and that feeling of just taking space to think. And so that's a, actually a big part of my practice is I'll ask a question and a lot of times I'll get the answer of, I don't know. And, and my question to that is, but what if you did know, what would it be? And that allows them the space to just process some of that. And so 
I don't know how, I don't know if I'm being very clear, but giving people the space and holding that space for them to feel comfortable enough to just explore themselves and maybe not have the answer, but take some stabs at it has been huge. And it's a really big goal of mine is we can have all these desires of, you know, making more money, having a better marriage, being more comfortable around people, being better at my career, all that kind of stuff. We can have those goals in the coaching but none of those mean anything if we don't learn how to be with ourselves and honestly look at what our thoughts are, our strengths are, our, all of that kind of stuff. And the space that my coaching provides, that's the most powerful part. Yeah, that is powerful. Holding space is something that it's one of those nebulous sounding concepts that can be very difficult to wrap your head around. It's really, to me, something more that you have to experience. And once you do, it's like, oh, now I understand, right? You understand what that means. And when you, it's powerful both, I think, for the person holding the space and for the person receiving that gift. It is a tremendous gift, a huge gift that you cannot duplicate with a material thing or fill a space through a material thing or anything else. It's just an experience. You just have to be with it. And the more that we be with it, both, in allowing someone, you know, having a safe space to trust in someone else to hold that space for us is very powerful. And then when we learn how to do it because it's modeled for us and then we offer that to other people, it's very powerful. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I still cringe a little bit at the term. (laughs) You guys can start to get a good glimpse or or you can, can get a good glimpse into my psyche a little bit about how much I words mean to me and how much baggage I carry with some of these terms. (laughs) And I carry a lot of baggage with that term, this, this holding space, because I think I've experienced a lot of transformational programs and coaches and books and all of that kind of stuff in this space. And there's a lot of people who are using that term and not backing it up. And so I do cringe a little bit when I hear that term holding space, but it truly is once you experience it, And once you are in the dirt with somebody and really just allowing them to be there, then you really start to understand what that means. And it's so much bigger than just this term that gets thrown around so much. And really, to me, what I've discovered is it's the commitment to each other. Once the commitment to each other is very, very clear, like I'm committed to loving you regardless of what you discover in this process. That, to me, is the best way I know how to describe, quote, unquote, holding space for somebody. I'm so committed to you that regardless of the outcome of this situation or this conversation, I'm going to love you and I'm going to accept you. Then they have the space to explore themselves and to figure out what they need to figure out. And I 100% agree with you. Sometimes I get off my coaching calls and I'm like, I think I got way more out of that than they did. <laughs> I am transformed from that conversation, and that's just a, that's an added benefit, right? We all have perks to our jobs, and that's mine. There is nothing like it, really, and it's very difficult to describe. Two things came to mind for me while you were talking. One is, well, many things, but these are the two that I'll mention. One is that it can sound very woo-woo, right? Um, And again, as we've talked about, until you experience it, you don't really know. And the other, which is a really good point you brought up, that it is something that a lot of people talk about, 
and they may talk about it with very good intentions, but they themselves don't know what it means to the degree that you're describing. And you described it so beautifully, that commitment to loving you, right, and to whatever coming up being okay. It is so different to talk about it than it is to actually do it and provide that and be committed like that. And it's so powerful. And I think that if we can all, those of us who are actively awakening, can get to the place where we do that, where we can allow the silence. So many things that you've mentioned are so beautiful. You know, allowing the silence and allowing the space and holding that space, it's transformative, as you've mentioned, as you come off those calls. And one by one, as we do that for one another, I think it has a ripple effect. I agree. I love that. Speaking of ripple effects, to me, what's very clear that I get from you, as I think I've mentioned, compassion and empathy and listening skills and just listening, just the simple act of closing your mouth and listening. (laughs) I hear you do that on your podcast, asking really good, insightful questions. The things that you've mentioned you do, I find on your podcast, it feels like they've become integrated for you. You know, they're not just skills, but they're part of who you are. Would you say that that's accurate? I would, yeah, absolutely. So for folks who are on the journey, those of us who are on the journey to wanting to integrate more of those qualities in our daily beingness, do you have any thoughts for the hows of that, those cursed hows? <laughs> What's the answer? How do yeah. we all do this? How do we repeat it, right? How, right? That's always the question is how do we take this system and repeat it and uh, and it's a great question. I think for me, just as in any other case, that question might be more valuable than the answer. And the reason I say that is because if you are constantly asking yourself, how do I be more intentional? How do I be more curious? Then you're already there. <laughs> I love it. So in, instead of coming up with this awesome formula that is just, you know, innovative and whatever. I don't I don't even know how to put it, but instead of being so focused on the process, if we focus on living that way, then the process comes naturally. And in fact, for me, the process by which we achieve some of this stuff changes so much and so rapidly on a regular basis that I'm not sure a set process is all that helpful. I think What's even more helpful is just keeping those questions in mind of where am I at today? What is wanted? What is needed? How am I being more curious? Am I being curious? Am I being open? Am I being willing to learn? All of those questions to me are so much more valuable than having a system that implements it on a daily basis. So having the time and the space for myself to ask those questions is really, really important. I know that, you know, going back to what I talked about, having this time in the morning, um, you and I talked about sunrise. And for me, sunrise is that thing that begs those questions, which sounds probably so weird or so foreign. And I can hear it even as I'm saying it, I'm, I'm thinking, man, you sound like an idiot. (laughs) but or you sound crazy but what it is for me is like i have attached that meaning to sunrise we can take whatever meaning we want and attach it to certain events in our lives and if we do that it's actually an incredible tool right so every time i do this i ask myself these questions 
And so that is a way for us to find meaning in new things or different things or new meaning in old things. And it allows us that space to ask those questions. So I don't know if, how clear I'm being, but um, what Sunrise is for me and why it's so important for me to experience as many of them as, we, as I can is the, the meaning that I have put to that now is that is my time to ask myself the most important questions. And so it almost becomes automatic. As soon as I'm awake, I've got my cup of coffee, I'm to the place where I'm going to, to witness and experience the sunrise for that day. Everything can just leave and I can sit with the questions that I know are most important to me at that moment, which is what is wanted and what is needed for that day, for that, that week, for you know my life. How am I living up to those things? And so I think identifying a place or a space in your life that happens on a very regular basis or you make happen on a very regular basis and attach the questions and the meaning that you want to experience more of to that thing is a huge, huge opportunity. And it allows us to experience that and visit that on a daily basis or a regular basis, I should say. I love it. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for spending so much time and for sharing so openly. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Is there anything that we talked about that is still, you know, is there anything left that's kind of niggling that would like to come out or be shared or anything else that you want to mention to wrap up? Oh my gosh. Well, first off, thanks for having me. It's very flattering and such a good conversation, such great questions. I love that you got (laughs) below surface immediately. And I'm so grateful for that. I think that means we've done some really good work here. For me, I think the biggest thing that I want to, that I always want these conversations to be left with is that we're all in the middle of something. We're all in a moment right now that is so pivotal that our decisions and our attitude and you know, how we interpret things and how we interact with other humans in our lives are so pivotal at any moment. And we have an opportunity to make choices in each of those moments. And what are the choices that we're making? What are the conversations that we're having with ourselves and with other people? And why are we having those conversations? It's so important for us to be mindful of those things. And most importantly, I want to leave, I always want to leave these conversations making sure that people don't think that I have the answers because I don't. What I have is questions. And those have been the most valuable thing in my life and possibly could be the most valuable thing in your life. If we let go of this attachment to answers and live and sit with questions and be comfortable with that, it takes some time. It takes some work. It takes some working with yourself, working with those who are closest to you, to be okay living in questions rather than answers. But just that, you know, we struggle just like anybody else. We have to work on things just like anybody else, but we've chosen to live intentionally and curious. And that is the difference. If anybody, I'd say if anybody is listening to this interview and they notice a difference in the way that I talk or they notice a difference in the way that I interpret things, or uh, they notice a difference in the way that our family lives, that the only thing that is different, it's not that we're brilliant, it's not that we have the answers, it's not that we've been given better experiences or less trials or challenges, it's that we have chosen to live intentionally and curious. And I couldn't express that more. I just think that is so incredibly important for people to realize 
you know, I, I recognize a very interesting thing when we started building our butt and we're very public about the type of lifestyle that we were going to choose to live or choose to try. I noticed a very interesting thing of people writing to me, commenting, talking to me and saying, I think that is the most amazing thing. I think that's so cool, but I could never do that. And there's something that has never quite sat well with me when people say that. And it took me a a little while to identify why that didn't sit well with me. And I finally came to the conclusion, and whether this is their intention or not, and I, I would say most of them, it's definitely not their intention. But when somebody says that to me, the immediate reaction or or the immediate thought that I have is, oh, that's interesting. You think this is easy for me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just been an amazingly wonderful opportunity for me to learn as people react that way. I've learned so much about myself. I've learned so much about other people and how we interact with each other and how we live our lives just by that one simple reaction that we have gotten from and we continue to get from so many people that sounds amazing that is so cool I would love to experience something like that but I couldn't do it and what a great opportunity what a great thing for us to experience and understand and my message to people is it's not it's not easy living in a life of intention living a life of curiosity being willing we don't we don't want to ask ourselves these questions because sometimes the answer is difficult. Most of the time, the answer is difficult. It is very difficult to reevaluate on a daily basis whether or not you're working towards a life that you want rather than a life that's been handed to you. And so my answer is, you know, you, you could. <laughs> if it was important enough to you, you could. If it was something that you were willing to work through and figure out, you definitely could. You could experience it. But until you're willing to answer, ask yourself those questions every day, what is wanted and what is needed, things will stay the same. Exactly. So beautifully put. And I think what is so challenging, it seems like a simple thing, yet so challenging to realize is to have the realization that that choice that you made, that it is a choice, number one, and to live intentionally and curiously. And number two, that that choice is accessible to everyone. Mm. And, you know, we look at the circumstances, like people look at your Instagram-worthy photos and your Instagram-worthy life and think that, yeah, it must be easier for you somehow. And, <laughs> and they could never do it because it's not easy for them, but that's not what it's about. It's about that choice. It's always about choice, and choice is accessible to all of us just by nature of being human. And the life that you are living may not be, even though someone thinks it looks wonderful, or, and it does look wonderful, but that may not be the life that they really want to be living. You know, it's, right. as you said, asking those questions, what is wanted, what is needed for me, not based on somebody else's wants and needs, right? So that I think is the crux of it. That realization has to happen within each of us and we can't do it for one another. All we can do is keep talking about it, keep living it ourselves, right? Keep asking the questions, keep moving through and hope that, you know, we can inspire somehow, not that it's about us, but that somehow 
it catches on. We show that it's possible because we did it. Right. I absolutely agree. That's beautiful. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and your thoughts and sharing and being who you are. Great. Thank you so much. Wow. I got so much from that conversation, and I really hope you did too. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so over at my website, beingandoingnow.com. That's also where you can go ahead and schedule a complimentary 45-minute clarity session, and that helps you tune in to your inner GPS so that you can start living the life that you envision for yourself. So hop on over there and take advantage of that. And if you find value in this podcast, please go over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and share it with a friend. All of those things help the show tremendously. Stay tuned for episode three, where we'll be talking about being genius. In the meantime, please remember that you make the world a better place by knowing yourself better, loving yourself more, and sharing from the heart. Keep doing you, my love. Ciao for now.